Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 20th day of August, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and obviously, since the intro is a bit different, you know that so is the beginning of the show today, as we try to recap now and wrap up what the heck has been going on. We actually have some good news to report, along with the bad and the ugly, and in at least one of the cases, maybe the story fits into all three. But let's start at least with the unabashedly good news, which greeted us midweek. Neocon gone, says the Zero Hedge headline. The evil hypocrite scumbag Liz Cheney has been not just voted out of Congress, but unceremoniously dumped in a huge landslide out of Congress, the Republican primary there. It's called a widely expected outcome, and the reason is the margin of victory was so great they didn't even bother to try to rig it. And in her case, you have to ask, why, after all, would the deep state even try Trump-endorsed Republican challenger Harriet Hageman was so far ahead with only about 13% of the votes counted, NBC News had to call it for her. By the time the dust cleared this morning, even the New York Times is having to admit that it was a landslide. Harriet Hageman got twice as many votes as every other challenger combined. And Lion Leftist Liz couldn't even pull 30%. Here's a bit more of the good news. The Bolsheviks' friend, Lion Liz, was one of the final remaining so-called Republicans who voted to impeach Trump, evidence be damned. Of the ten, only two now are left standing. Still, she practically dislocated her shoulder, patting herself on the back for her so-called integrity. Outside the polling location, she was quoted as saying, We're facing a moment where our democracy really is under attack and under threat. And still, folks, she doesn't know what form of government we're actually supposed to have, which really puts the lie to her follow-up statement via a tweet. I'm proud to cast my ballot today, she said, quote, The challenges we are facing require serious leaders who will abide by their oath and uphold the Constitution <laughs> no matter what. And her smashing defeat, as even the Daily Mail notes, comes as Democrats have switched political parties. They can do so in Wyoming even on the day of the election, if they have identification, in order to try to stem the tide against their Bolshevik comrade. Most of the stories note that President Trump took a victory lap saying congratulations to Harriet Hageman on her very decisive win in Wyoming. And he added, this is a wonderful result for America and a complete rebuke of the unselect committee of political hacks and thugs. Liz Cheney, he continued, should be ashamed of herself. No, folks, she has no shame. And now he concluded she can finally disappear into the depths of political oblivion, where I'm sure she'll be happier, much happier than she is now. Thank you, Wyoming. But honestly, folks, my favorite comment came from the Babylon Bee. Even the Daily Mail couldn't help but note that when her hypocrite daddy, Mr. Gravitas himself, came to campaign for her, he arguably didn't do her any favors, but the Babylon Bee put it this way, referring to a campaign ad this guy did for the traitorous daughter. Over a picture of the cowboy hat-wearing hypocrite, the caption reads, Never has America faced a greater threat than Donald Trump, says the guy who started two wars and shot another dude in the face. So the woman who's literally come to represent the face of anti-First Amendment America, where you don't have a right to petition your government for a redress of grievance, because we may just put you in the gulag and throw away the key, is gone. Well, at least real soon now. Good riddance. The related bad news? Well, following her humiliating defeat, the unchastened Liz Cheney has threatened to do, quote, whatever it takes. And uh, if it wasn't for the fact that Donald Trump is so hated by the left, they'd call that a death threat to stop Trump. 
Oh, and finally, as to more bad and even the downright ugly, on this one story alone, we turn to none other than the online front page of the New York Times, which has headlines, folks, like this. After losing in landslide, Cheney hints at presidential run. There's another one, analysis, yeah, sure, of what Liz Cheney's loss says about the state of the GOP. And, of course, you know, without having to read that bit of tripe, it's not good. But wait a minute, when it comes to the real ugly, here's some opinion pieces that are also on the front page from Frank Bruni. In the ways that count, Liz Cheney won. (laughs) Good grief. And how about this one? Liz Cheney and the GOP old guard are down, but they might not be out. (sighs) All right, from there, one more quick bit of news in the good category while we're talking about it. This comes from Steve Watson via Summit News. A senior White House so-called climate advisor, and that tells you volumes, has been sanctioned. Who could have thought it? By the National Academy of Sciences, almost living up to their name, for violating their ethics policy. Axios reports that Jane Lubchenco, the Deputy Director for Climate und Environment at the Weiss House Office of Science and Technology Policy has been pulled up by the NAS for editing a paper that was later found to contain not just technical errors, we're certainly used to that by now, but having worked with the scientists involved with it, one who turned out to be her brother-in-law. <laughs> she was found to have violated NAS Code of Conduct Section 3, which says members shall avoid those detrimental research policies that are clear violations of the fundamental tenets of research, unquote, and by the way, kind of reflect badly on everybody who claims to worship the great god science. Oh yeah, and there were a couple of GOP Congress critters who actually wrote an open letter back in February calling for the White House, and yeah, you know what happened on this score, don't you, to consider whether Dr. Lubchenco's leading role in the administration's scientific integrity efforts, how good grief, undermines public confidence in future policy decisions. And on that score, I got only three words. Do you think... But at least that does lead directly to our bad story, and it's really bad. The senile mannequin has signed into what now passes, sadly, for law, and nobody is surprised at this, the laughably misnamed, literally calling evil good and good evil, Inflation Reduction Act that spends three quarters of a billion dollars. Whoops, how's that for a Freudian slip, folks? I was hearkening back to the days when the currency hadn't yet been completely debased. This will put a wooden stake in it. No, that's three quarters of a trillion dollars with a T now to undermine public confidence in crappy science. And even the leftists are admitting this certainly won't do anything to reduce inflation. The Biden fewer thank the leftist turncoat, Joe Manchin, who initially killed the Build Back Better package not long ago, but evidently in response to a little bit of pork in his home state of West Virginia, a gas pipeline guarantee. Now, the irony is Manchin hadn't figured it out yet. There won't be any gas to run through that pipeline. He signed on to this bill that, let's be as honest as we can, folks, is intended to do nothing other than really screw the American people. And I know that might offend some. Hey, if you're offended at that, take a look at what this thing's actually going to do to you. Managing to read his scripted lines more or less as written, the Biden Fuhrer hailed the new measure as a, get this, tool to take on the special interests. And that, of course, means American citizens who actually think there are parts of the Constitution that still apply. Wrong. Buried in the bowels of the anti-science pork-laden bill are, of course, 87,000 new IRS agents, and as Jefferson put it, appropriately, officers to be sent hither to harass our people and eat out their substance. 
No doubt referring to the crackdown that will follow the hyperinflation that this bill will help bring about. Chucky Schumer, one of the most evil men in the history of the U.S. Senate, called this abomination, quote, the most important thing Congress has done in a long time, which is arguably true if you understand Orwellian doublespeak. And that's why this, too, fits into both of those other categories, bad and ugly, really ugly. I'll follow that up with just a headline. We've talked about this before. But Martin Armstrong put it this way for the burning platform and no doubt his own website as well. IRS agents, and you knew this, didn't you, are training to raid homes. Referring to the mock raids on suburban houses that the 87,000 new federal agents will use as they break down doors and threaten people at gunpoint, or arguably, folks, a whole lot worse. And describing the new National Criminal Investigation Training Academy for Big Brother's Federal Reserve Enforcement Agents, he noted how the new Special Agent Investigative Techniques, SATE class, trains new recruits in tax law, evidence gathering, and interviewing, report writing, methods of proving unreported income, as if we actually needed proof, and money laundering violations. Oh, and it also, of course, includes use of force training, including firearms, weaponless tactics, and building entry. There's a message here, folks, and if you're paying attention, you got it before the marionette in chief even put his big red X next to this abomination's bottom line. This thing really is the Freedom Reduction Act, and it sounds like Congress knows it, because what they've done here is to say, hey, we know the hyperinflation is coming. We know there are a whole lot of really angry Americans. Oh, and we know that's nothing compared to how angry they're going to be once they realize what we've done to them. And we need to get our standing army armed up and trained up and ready for what we know is coming, because we've been pushing it for so long. And that truly is ugly. And finally, when it comes to the other really ugly store today, we knew this one too, but it's disgusting to have to report it again, because as the Pfizer so-called scientific trials and the data that they wanted hidden for 75 years continues to trickle out, we continue to find out just how satanically evil these lying scumbags worshipping the great god Satan, and I'm trying to put it as kindly as I can, but you know that can't hide the ugly, really are. Here's the headline, courtesy of American Greatness and also the burning platform again. Report, it says, more than 40% of all of the pregnant women who were duped into participating in the so-called Pfizer-sponsored COVID vaccine trial of their mRNA poison suffered miscarriages. According to internal Pfizer documents recently released under that court order. Are you sitting down? Of the 50 pregnant women who were duped into, well, committing infanticide, it would seem, 22 of them, that's 44%, lost their babies, according to the documents. And despite this, the satanic hordes at Pfizer and, of course, the Biden regime continued to insist that those Zyklon B injections, in spite of the evidence that they knew damn well they had in their hands, were safe and effective. Yeah, because they want you and your kids dead. And this is really so far beyond just plain evil and ugly. It boggles the mind. Now, in case you've forgotten, in a January court ruling, U.S. District Judge Mark Pittman of the Northern District of Texas ordered the Federal Death Agency, or FDA, that was participating in the cover-up to release around 12,000 documents immediately and then 55,000 pages a month until eventually, and not quite 75 years down the line, all of the documents, well, at least so we're told, will be released, totally more than 300,000 pages. And what we've seen so far indicates it's not just criminal, folks. It was satanically criminal. 
Are you starting to understand why they want to make damn sure they've got all kinds of armed federal agents, FBI, IRS, ATF, and pretty much any other TLAs that you can imagine to come bust down your door and take care of you once you figure out what's already been done to take care of you? And just to kind of tie the ribbons on this, a couple of more points from the piece. Trial documents that were released all the way back in April, and I've talked about them here, of course, reveal that the evil satanic companies involved here, and we're talking Pfizer in this case, had to hire 1,800 additional full-time employees in the first half of 2021 just to deal with, quote, the large increase of adverse reactions to its so-called COVID vaccine. And by February of 2021, the company was seeing so many so-called safety signals, especially including pregnant and breastfeeding mothers, that they had to hire another 600 employees immediately just to process that data. And among the numbers that they didn't want you to know, in the past, only 10 to 15 percent of known pregnancies ended with miscarriage. And now they've managed to, well, quadruple or at least triple that. Joseph Mengele would be proud. Speaking of which, let's go next to a story that, honestly, I first decided I didn't want to do. In part, simply because I detest the guy that it's about. And while it's not in the least bit surprising, it does sound a bit conspiracy-oriented. But I've already talked about it a bit anyway, so it fits. It is, of course, multiply sourced, and it really does help to tie some things together today, too. For reasons that, as usual, will no doubt shortly become obvious. The tyrannically misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, which, as you probably know, your host refers to as the Freedom Reduction Act, was signed by the Biden puppet earlier this week. Oh, and by the way, have you ever heard the idiotic progressive term dead naming? To demonize people who refer to a man that has declared himself to be a woman via his actual birth name? Calling it dead naming somebody may be stupid, but that doesn't stop him from using it. I guess we can't stop them from lying about the names of bills that do the exact opposite of what they claim to, but we can at least use a better word. Let's call them fake-named. So, the obviously fake-named Inflation Reduction Act mandates tossing three-quarters of a trillion dollars, not only down the rabbit hole, but down the tyranny hole. We'd all be better off if they merely just wasted three-quarters of a trillion bucks, rather than what they're doing instead. Because the net effect is to make things far, far worse, especially when it comes to energy, and, of course, tyranny itself, and not better. And let's not forget the standing army of IRS agents sent hither to harass our people and eat out our substance. Anyway, says a piece from Tyler Durden summarizing a number of other stories. It was all made possible by Mr. Microshaft himself, billionaire Bill Gates. He not only wants to destroy your future based on climate change, but poke you to death too. And to a smaller extent, by the evil Larry Summers. And they've all been known to hang out together, along with fine folks like Jeffrey Epstein. In a Tuesday Bloomberg article that, as the Zero Hedge story puts it, reads more like a newsletter for the Gates fan club, billionaire Microsoft co-founder recalls how earlier this year, as less tyrannical, actual remaining Democrats like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema continued to block the Green New Deal high-price tax and spend legislation over concerns, obviously correct, that it would decimate what's left of the middle class, and it will, Gates has now publicly said he tapped into a relationship that he'd been cultivating with Manchin since at least 2019. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As he revealed to Bloomberg, it says, he quietly lobbied Manchin and other senators, starting even before the Biden puppet was inserted into the White House, in anticipation, it says, of the rare moment in which heavy federal spending might be secured for the so-called clean energy, or maybe no energy is more like it, transition. Gates was willing to go to the mat. Quote, the last month people felt like, okay, we tried, we're done, it failed, said Gates. 
but I believed it was a unique opportunity. So he tapped into his relationship with Manchin he'd been cultivating for at least three years and said, quote, we were able to talk even at a time when he felt people weren't listening. Well, says Zero Hedge, you know, gag us with a spoon. But after Manchin walked again on the bill last December over the obvious and correct concerns that it would exacerbate the national debt, inflation, the pandemic, and just about every other evil thing that the regime has been working towards, Gates jumped into action. Shortly thereafter, he met with Manchin and his wife at a swanky swamp restaurant where they talked about what West Virginia needed. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, your host feels compelled to insert here. But even so, Manchin wasn't convinced, and on February 1, he announced that the communist bill, then called Build Back Better, was dead. Whereupon, Democrats pulled together a cadre of so-called economists and other Manchin influencers, including former Secretary Larry Summers, who tried to convince Manchin the bill wouldn't do what it so clearly does, raise taxes on the middle class, or add to the deficit. What a stupid son of a bitch. As Bloomberg put it, through this subtle alchemy, clean energy investments were reframed for Manchin as a hedge against future spikes in oil and gas prices and a way to potentially export more energy to Europe. Are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? Stupid is stupid, does Mr. Blue. I guess. And Gates sprang into action, too, when on July 7, he was spotted with Manchin at the Sun Valley Media Conference in Idaho. Quote, we had to talk about what was missing and what needed to be done, said Gates. And after that, it was a lot of phone calls. Says Bloomberg, he looks back at the new law with satisfaction because he achieved what he set out to do. Quote, I'll say it's one of the happier moments of my climate work, said Gates. Concluding, well, I don't want to take credit for what went on in the article about how he gets credit for what went on. As if uh, credit was even remotely the right word. As the days wear on now since the United States descended into Banana Republic status with the absolutely unbelievable FBI raid on the home of a former president, there's at least a bit more information and certainly no shortage of speculation about what might have been in those documents that the FBI was willing to destroy the very fabric of the nation itself in order to make sure President Trump didn't have and the public never saw. Sundance at the conservative treehouse in a multi-part sequence that came out over the weekend explained it up front this way. It's important to remember, he said, the Presidential Records Act, the presented pretext for the document conflict, is not a criminal statute. An FBI raid cannot be predicated on a document conflict between the National Archives and the former president. So the DOJ NSD warrant, signed by the Epstein judge, as I think we ought to call him, and the subsequent raid at Mar-a-Lago can only be related to records the U.S. government deems classified, even if this president actually, in fact, did declassify them, and material vital to national security interests, hence the DOJ National Security Division involvement. In prior outlines, said Sundance, we've exhaustively covered the details of President Trump's desire to publicly release information about DOJ and FBI conduct and how they targeted him during the fabricated Russia, Russia, Russia claims. However, to understand the nature of the documents, he may or may not hold we first review the declassification memo provided by President Trump to the DOJ upon his departure from office, and actually just before, so it was while he was still president. 
In broad terms, there are two sets of documents that intermingle, says Sundance, and are directly related. First, documents that highlight the activity of Hillary Clinton's team in creating the bogus Russia, Russia, Russia with Trump conspiracy theory dating back to 2015 and 16. Second, documents that highlight the activity of government officials targeting Donald Trump within that same time frame. That would be Operation Crossfire Hurricane that continued into 2017 and 18 and 19, courtesy of scumbags like Robert Mueller. Think of those two sets of documents, says Sundance, as evidence against two teams working in synergy. Team 1, Clinton, was outside government, at least supposedly. Team 2, the DOJ and FBI, are inside government. The documents pertain to both groups, but they're also divided, which helps explain the wording of the memo above. The documentary evidence against the outside group, Clinton et al., would also involve a government-documented evidence as the DOJ-FBI inside group interacted with with them, including things like notes from interviews, materials provided, FBI 302 interview summaries, and etc. And here he refers to a lawsuit filed by President Trump in March of this year, mostly against the outside actors. A headline from the Gateway Pundit earlier put it this way, the FBI had a personal stake in the Mar-a-Lago raid. Agents were after the Spygate documents that Trump was probably holding that almost certainly implicated the criminal FBI. As has been widely reported, except in the waste-stream media, Trump declassified a binder on January the 19th, 2021, containing hundreds of pages about Operation Crossfire Hurricane and the scandal, which contained damaging information about the level of corruption in the government. And since then, two different attorneys general have defied President Trump's direct lawful order to publish that binder in the Federal Register. It's been 19 months and, uh, yep, still isn't out there concludes Sundance, citing the literally tens of thousands of people who routinely show up to hear this guy speak, the existence of Trump is a threat, but it's the existence of a Trump that could expose their corruption and has the documents to do it that makes him a level of threat that leads to an unprecedented, literally banana republic-style raid on his home at Mar-a-Lago. From there, I go to some comments via a piece from Art Moore at World Net Daily about how the DHS-FBI brief that's almost certainly at the heart of this attack against America and anything that might try to save it, which casts conservatives as, say it with me folks, DVEs or domestic violent extremists. And that includes any American citizens who, after the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the Whitmer kidnapping debacle and hoax, and of course the burying of anything and everything associated with the Biden crime family influence peddling cover-up, a.k.a. Hunter's laptop from hell, rightfully view the FBI raid on Donald Trump's home with skepticism. So that means they fit the profile of what the FBI wants to call a domestic violent extremist. This according to an intelligence bulletin, SICK, distributed jointly by the FBI and the Department of Achtung Homeland Security, obtained by Project Veritas and evidently intended to propagandize local law enforcement. Basically, they try to warn the local Leos, these DVEs are coming after you and everything that represents truth, justice, and the communist new American progressive way especially anybody who suggests that anything associated with that 2020 election fraud uh, uh, was fraud or other claims of government overreach of any kind. And here's an irony. The upcoming midterm elections, if we succeed in doing what we plan to, might become a flashpoint around which additional threats could escalate. Even your cynical host has to add here, if we have to do them ourselves. 
Remember, under the Obama feuer back in 2009, how DHS released a report then entitled Right-Wing Extremism that cast conservatives who dare to suggest there could possibly be federal government overreach and oppose things like abortion and illegal immigration as terrorists. And oh yeah, if you had a Ron Paul sticker then, or a Gadsden flag, don't tread on me today, you're almost certainly one of those. And if you've been paying attention, folks, that means you can pretty much already guess what the next step is probably going to be. Because it's not like we haven't seen it before. And we've got more, too, right after we get back from the bottom of the hour break. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am again your host, Mark Call, and at this point I want to again take up a theme that's been on my mind quite a bit lately. Adolf Hitler once famously espoused the propaganda technique of the big lie. Come to think of it, so did Solonensky, and they're probably talking about it over together now, wherever they are. But your host tends to put more faith in the promise from the Bible that says there's nothing hidden that won't eventually be revealed. And I can't help but think a lot of that seems to be happening right about now at least for those with eyes to see. And i got to suggest, that really was one of the major themes for this week. And just maybe, given the way I introduced it, I ought to start with a bit of what could be divine humor. From Chris Menahan via Information Liberation, and also InfoWars, and hopefully others, the traitorous Secretary of Defense, and if you've been paying attention, you know I say that with no shortage of proof, Lloyd Austin who helped to mandate the Zyklon B injection as part of what looks like the plan to destroy the United States military, and then led the charge to ban the unvaxxed from continued military service, has tested positive and is sick with COVID for the second time. And not only that, he is quadruple vaxxed, or at least so they say. And this is where I raise my eyebrows, because you got to wonder, is he truly that stupid? It's obvious the guy is evil. Why else would you do anything so destructive to allegedly your own military? But I would have thought he would have known better and taken the placebo rather than the real poison poke, especially the third or fourth time. So if he'd done what you'd expect most of these scumbags to do and taken the saline injection instead of the real thing, that way you can posture and save the real poison for the troops... It's certainly possible he could have come down with COVID once and thereafter wouldn't have any further issues. But it almost looks now like they really didn't spare him from taking the real thing. Arguably, that serves him right. After all, he did cut off pay and benefits to over 62,000 unvaccinated National Guard and Reserve soldiers last month. And he certainly caused irreparable harm to who knows how many thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands, everything from cancers to heart issues to strokes. And, of course, many of them have already died. 
But now that he's proven to the world just how really, truly effective these poison Zyklon B injections are, so you can see how effective it really was to poison all those soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines, he's going to quarantine and work from home. When it comes to destroying what's left of the armed forces, there's obviously still work to do. But you know this, don't you? Say it with me. It would have been so much worse if he hadn't been stupid enough to take the real shots, not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times. And I guess it's fair to ask it, since so many have now been injected for no actual good reason. Just how's that for combat readiness? I followed that up with a story that one way or the other I've actually done several times over the last decade and a half. But in a way, they keep getting better, and this really should get a lot more coverage than I know it's gonna. Evidence is now confirmed, says Ethan Huff for Natural News. Again, your host adds, that TWA Flight 800, remember that? The summer of Bill, the rapist Clinton's first re-election bid, was shot down by the U.S. military. And that was followed by, you know it, don't you? A coordinated, massive cover-up. It happened on July the 17th, 1996, and honestly, folks, your host has talked about it ever since. And says Ethan Huff, the official story surrounding that tragic crash is, uh, let me just put it as kindly as I can, folks, a whole bunch of bullshit. And what's funny is, over the years, I've talked to many, many pilots, and virtually to a man, and at least a few cases, a woman, they recognize that that's precisely what was being fed to people. The same thing goes for the late General Benton K. Parton, to whom I had the honor of talking with about it more than once. As a matter of fact, what they universally refer to as the CIA cartoon, which shows how an airliner can violate the laws of physics if there's a cover-up to be maintained, is literally universally reviled. The official BS, and I'm sure you've heard this, is that the center fuel tank spontaneously combusted for no real reason whatsoever, and it's never before happened and certainly never will again. As a matter of fact, you pretty much can't even make it happen. But the one thing we know absolutely positively for certain is... These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. Move along. Move along. And now there's more. William Henry Teal III, a 10-year Navy veteran turned whistleblower, is offering, and not for the first time, a different version of the events that have been lied about for over a quarter of a century. Turns out he was there, heard the exchange on the radio, saw the aftermath of what happened, and the uh, cover-up as well. He claims it wasn't intentional, though. It was just plain old stupidity, and that, of course, needs to be covered up, especially with Bill Clinton in a hot re-election campaign. Several U.S. naval vessels were in the area at the time, which, of course, history confirms. One of them launched a missile, he said, that struck TDBA Flight 800 and sent it plunging into the sea off the coast of Long Island. Jack Hashill from The American Thinker wrote a book about all this, and it's quite excellent, folks. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to, especially now, back in 2016. And he published an article recently stating that he believes Teal's account is legitimate based on not only who he is and his presence confirmed on one of the ships in that fleet that witnessed TW-800 firsthand that day, but all the other aspects of his story that Cash Hill has been able to confirm. Quote, Teal did not claim to be on the ship that fired the missile, said Cash Hill. 
who is perhaps most famous for interviewing so many of the 700 eyewitnesses that saw a missile strike TWA Flight 800, but says Cashel he was on the USS Carr, a guided missile frigate that was one of the simulated combatants in the battle group that destroyed the unfortunate jetliner and killed 230 souls on board that fateful day. Everything he said that I could verify about Teal's account back then checked out. This was a major exercise off the coast of New York. Notums or notices to airmen from the time frame, and I remember verifying it way back then, confirm that. Teal's job during the simulation was to monitor what was going on from that ship's Combat Information Center, or CIC. Other ships, supposedly in the area as well, included the USS Normandy, the USS Trepang, and the USS Albuquerque. Even the federal bunglers of the investigation later admitted that an Aegis cruiser and a U.S. Navy P-3 Orion subchaser aircraft were also present, the latter of which just happened to be flying about 7,000 feet in altitude above TWA Flight 800 when that plane was blasted out of the sky. Teal has also publicly stated that he believes the USS Leyte Gulf was also involved, making this a quite complex operation with a lot of moving parts. And with TWA Flight 800 and a number of other commercial jetliners right in the middle of of the operation. It all makes sense that a major accident like this was possible. Now, one of the things your host will add here, folks, from the things I've learned about this over the intervening years, is that there was an Aegis III, an advanced radar acceptance test in progress. And one major element of that, if you remember the tragic incident a few years prior to that, when the U.S. Navy shot down an Iranian civil airliner over the Persian Gulf, seems to have involved that the test be conducted in what's called Mixed-use airspace with a busy combination of both civilian and military traffic to see whether they could successfully identify and target, or not, the right bad guy. Whether or not the test was declared a failure, in hindsight, we could argue, uh, maybe not so much. And that at least helps explain the question that was asked in this piece. Why would the Navy choose to hold this exercise so close to a major port and hub like New York City, rather than somewhere more remote, farther away from major airports? Well, we got to run these tests, don't you know? And maybe they should sound familiar now, folks. Civilians are obviously expendable. There were, of course, multiple commercial aircraft right in the middle of this Navy operation. And according to Teal, he and his fellow sailors, quote, jumped the gun and shot down TWA Flight 800, believing it was the, quote, assumed enemy in the drill. In one of the interviews I saw with the man, he actually indicated that after they'd heard they'd shot down an Airbus, he and others were asking, but not for long anyway, What's an Airbus? Quote, we had a track on a contact that came close and that fit the profile that we were given, he maintains. It matched the drill. In military parlance, folks, this is what's called a major aw shit. All the evidence surrounding what happened was taken to the shred room, explained Jack Hashill, citing Teal, who said they literally, quote, ran to Bermuda and disposed of the truth. And some people, as you probably know, made their bones in that time frame. One of them, Robert Mueller, went on to be FBI director and later a major player in the overthrow of the United States and the treason involved in that cover-up. And here we are still, folks, over 26 years now, later, and the Fed's blaspheming integrity are still lying through their damnable teeth about it. Can anybody honestly say we're surprised? Next, another one of those items we've seen coming for a long time. The Bureau of Reclamation of the Interior Department said on Tuesday that Arizona and Nevada are now facing deeper cuts on the amount of water they're going to be allowed to draw from the drought-stricken Colorado River. Because urgent action, their term, is needed as water levels in the two largest reservoirs on the river, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, continued to drop, literally, through the floor. 
In Arizona's case, 21% of their annual water allocation will be reduced come 2023, while Nevada sees an 8% slapdown and Mexico gets cut by 7%. Although communist California, is it because they're more politically correct, will be spared the new measures that begin next year. All of this, it says, comes as the western U.S. faces, again, thank you, geoengineers, the worst mega drought in 1,200 years. Lake Mead, the United States' largest reservoir, is at levels not seen in eight decades, while Lake Powell could face hydropower production disruptions as soon as next year. Yeah, so much for your shiny new EV. And some reports say it's already below critical levels, and those power cutbacks should already be in place. And here's more good news for those planning the famine. In Arizona, the cuts will impact water flow to farmland. Hey, isn't that an amazing new thing? Haven't seen it before, right, California? And this is for the region responsible for 90% of U.S. lettuce production. Farmers in Arizona, who produce that vast majority of the nation's leafy greens, especially from November through March, have already borne the brunt of prior cuts, along with those who make a living from the state's 23-plus billion dollar agriculture industry. Pinal County, between Phoenix and Tucson, is likely to be hit especially hard, since the area is known for cotton and livestock, and it's already seen about half its farmland go idle due to previous water reductions. Anybody still think Big Brother doesn't know what's happening? So that in the midst of drought, famine, and the resulting hyperinflation, they can unleash a new standing army of revenue agents? Why, how else are they going to arrest all the new planned food rioters? Sorry, folks, I can't get that picture of a smiling, even grinning Bill Gates out of my head. Here's one from Jessica Rendell via CNET.com, and it's a story that I think is related, given all of the amazing, downright surprising number of food recalls we've seen of late. Some are suggesting, who could have thought such a thing, that Big Brother's minions know that what's coming is going to need somebody to get underground, so they're stocking up before the generally dumb public figures out that they've been had. Some drinks, it says, made by Lions Magnus, a food and beverage manufacturer, have been recalled within the last couple of weeks. A variety of plant milks, protein shakes, and coffee drinks sold by different brands have also been pulled from store shelves. And on Tuesday, the company expanded the recall to include more products in an update posted to the U.S. Federal Death Administration, uh, FDA, website. The alleged reason for the recall, according to the FDA and the company, is that the products, quote, did not meet commercial sterility specifications because they could potentially be contaminated with organisms, ooh, booga booga booga, including the one that causes botulism. King's Hawaiian, the only food product that's been included in the recall so far, has announced that it's recalling its pretzel bread, including hamburger buns, pretzel slider buns, and pretzel bites out of, get this, an abundance of caution because they too use an ingredient affected in the larger beverage recall. Although no other breads or buns sold by Kings of Wine have been impacted, the company said, if you have any of that pretzel bread, you should throw it away and see if maybe you can get a replacement. And if you know what's going on, your host suggests you'd better hurry. This is almost humorous in the context of what else we're seeing. There are some things called chronobacter infections that are rare, but they may cause fever, vomiting, or urinary tract infections, and can be dangerous or life-threatening for babies, older adults, and people with weakened immune systems, i.e., any of you who've taken the poison poke. Funny, isn't it, folks, how they're not telling you not to take the Zyklon B, which, admittedly, might have far, far worse side effects. <laughs> no, just don't have any food on hand that we're not going to let you have anyway. Customers are being urged to throw away anything that they may have from the company, even if it doesn't look or smell spoiled. 
which takes me to a piece from S.D. Wells via Natural News that comes right out and says what your host has been leading up to with anyway. Us first, says the headline. Most of the food recalls, and they put it in great big quotes, during the pandemic are actually foods being diverted to government storage bunkers for the rich und the elite who seem to have an escape plan in place for the upcoming food shortage apocalypse that's been so well planned and executed, they're not even spending their own money to prepare for it. Most of the food recalls, and he puts that in quotes too, because haven't there been an unusually high number of such, along with plants burning down, of course, for things like salmonella, E. coli, and metal shavings found in products, is actually just a way to divert storable foods to the freezers and basement pantries of the uber-rich and elite, all of whom are planning well for the food shortage apocalypse that arguably has been so well engineered. Even Bloomberg News has reported that some of that world's elite, including U.S. government officials, are securing underground bunkers for riding out the well-planned next world war, another pandemic, and or all of the above, including a nuclear holocaust. The latest food recall to hit this bill was frozen pizza, recalled by Home Run-In Frozen Foods, saying they found over 13,000 pounds of frozen meat pizza product was, quote, contaminated with extraneous materials, specifically metal. Oh, and guess who's also getting ready for the next scamdemic right now? Yep, you got it. Bill Gates and his ex Melinda, too, can't seem to fill their bunkers quickly enough with frozen foods and clean water for the next pandemic. How many of the food recalls are fake? That's going to be kind of hard for the peons to know, because they're not going to tell you. Still, it's interesting that there are no reports of injuries or adverse reactions due to consumers swallowing those so-called metal shavings in the pizza, because uh, maybe there aren't any. Are you worried about monkeypox? Better stock up now. How about the Omicron variant of the Wuhan bat-jumping flu? Stock up on those recalled frozen pizzas while you still can. Yep, folks, it's not just the water wars that are already in progress, but food wars as well as outright weapon wars, too. Most of the weapons and money that's been going to Ukraine haven't really been going to where they've been telling us they're going. They've instead been diverted, stolen, rerouted to elitists and smugglers. And arguably, it's the Biden regime that coordinates all this corruption. I guess some things have remained the same. So, suggests Wells, get ready for the long coming lines at the grocery stores, which only last up until the shelves are bare. Then what? The trucks will stop delivering when there's no fuel available. And if, maybe when, the Internet goes down, so will everyone's access to what they thought was money. But it turns out, well, it really never was anyway. But want to guess who might still have not only fuel, but ammo for their full auto weapons? How about the new 87,000 or so? Agents for the Standing Army of the IRS. Almost lends a new meaning to their old motto about death and taxes, doesn't it? Oh, one more quick follow-up story from the same source. This time it's Arsenio Toledo at Natural News. Corn collapse, it says. Less than 60%, well, actually 57% of America's so-called corn crop is in either good or excellent condition, according to the latest crop progress reports from the Department of Agriculture. But maybe that's not as bad as it seems. Remember, 90% of the corn crop isn't real corn anyway. It's Monsatan bioengineered frankenfood. Yeah, it continues. Crop conditions all over the country are worsening. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> and the country should be looking forward to a uh, less than bountiful harvest come fall. Maybe down 5% or so compared to even last year's dismal results. From Fox News, seems like another thing the regime is good at is money printing. 
Since the theft of the election, the Democrats, CCP, and the Biden puppets, but probably I repeat myself, have spent over $3.8 trillion and counting on their anti-American agenda. Inflation soars, so do taxes, while the economy has been driven into, well, first recession, even though they won't use the word, and you know what's coming, don't you? If not, you certainly should. Quick related story, you probably already knew this. One year ago this week, the Biden regime told Americans that they had left trapped in Kabul after the disastrous withdrawal. Oh yeah, and tens of billions of dollars worth of weapons left to terrorists. Hmm, didn't they just do something like that again this week? We cannot guarantee your security. Hey, if you can get to the airport, maybe you ought to try it. But otherwise, you're on your own. Here's the real irony, folks. In the years since, we've learned they were more honest then than they are now. Okay, well, that's not a good way to put it. They were less duplicious then. And i got to say it, you're probably thinking the same thing. I can't help but wonder if they're planning on bringing in so many of those Taliban that they helped arm to be the new armed IRS stormtroopers and bust down the doors of Americans. This next item is a piece from the NC Renegade that I thought was kind of cute. It certainly does a good job of summarizing so many of the things we've seen over the last couple of months. Stop calling them Democrats, says the headline, because they're communists. Certainly begins the story, this is no longer the party of JFK or even Bill Clinton. Yep, it's time to start calling a spade a spade. Imagine, for example, this scenario. You have a neighbor, let's call him Mr. Jones, a kind old man whose wife died years ago. He works in his small garden, wears the same old jacket all the time, and has a funny but genuine laugh. One day, suddenly, Mr. Jones disappears. A couple days later, you notice some activity his place. It looks like Mr. Jones. You go in to say hello, but suddenly you realize this is a stranger. He might look like Mr. Jones, sound a bit like him, and he acts in some ways, but not others, like Mr. Jones, but it's not him. This person lives in Mr. Jones' place, wears his clothes, works in his garden, even has a strange imitation of his laugh. <laughs> Who are you, you have to ask? Well, I'm Mr. Jones, he responds, of course. But, you know it, it's not him. And this creepy scenario is what seems to have taken place with the Democrats. Certainly no longer even remotely the party of Thomas Jefferson. One of the stated goals, he continues, of communism from the congressional record in 1963 was to take over one or Maybe even today we can see it, both political parties from within. Certainly they've succeeded. So let's review a few of the basics. This is the great summary I was referring to, folks. One, they're raiding and jailing their political opponents. They've turned the FBI, CIA, and, of course, IRS against American citizens. In some cases, it was only a small turn that was left anyway. They've come out against freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the press, the Second Amendment, and other core American ideals. They've abandoned the rule of law. They now have one set of laws for themselves, if you're high enough up in the party anyway, and something completely different for the rest of the peons. They've deliberately tried to bankrupt us. Sometimes directly through shutting down businesses, sometimes indirectly through wasting trillions of tax dollars and inflating what was once called the American dollar into worthlessness. They're indoctrinating our children with radical ideologies, to put it mildly. They're celebrating infanticide. They're making secret deals with foreign entities against our interests. In some cases, it's not even that secret. Witness Nancy Pelosi in Taiwan. 
Or the big guy, back when he was playing Veep, strong-arming Ukraine with his billion-dollar quid pro quo. They're deliberately keeping the borders wide open, encouraging an invasion to erase our national identity. They've mandated groupthink and conformity, and they punish anyone who doesn't parrot their chosen narratives, however insane and utterly absurd. They're purging the very best from our military, converting what's left into a tool of wokeism, and of course killing those that don't know enough to leave anyway with the poison poke. They've transformed our once great American cities into crime-ridden hellscapes. They've relentlessly stoked division between everyone, and they never miss even the slightest opportunity to accuse someone or something of being fill-in-the-blank, racist, sexist, some kind of phobic or other supremacist, you name it. They constantly work to slander, cancel, or erase our founding fathers, American heroes, and even America itself. They've worked hard to defund the police, release criminals from prison, and disarm the rest of us to make them easier fodder for those recently released prisoners. They defend terrorism. Remember, he quotes the Biden ventriloquist dummy. Antifa is an idea, not an organization. Without question, they're committing terrorism against the American people and ignoring the first principle of the Nuremberg Code written in the aftermath of World War II, which explicitly prohibits coerced consent for experimental medications, i.e. what they've been doing with these Zyklon B injections. They've certainly tried to corrupt elections on a national scale, arguably succeeded, along with the press that covers up for them. They've openly stated their desire to abolish the very structure of the family itself. They threatened to abolish the filibuster, pack the Supreme Court, and dismantle the Electoral College system. In other words, what's left of the Constitution already shredded. They intend to put a wooden stake in again. They're criminalizing normality on a number of fronts. They've taken down American flags and raised other flags in their place. Antifa, rainbow flags, anything communist, virtually hammers and sickles, you name it, symbolizing their no longer stealthy political takeover. And yeah, concludes the author, they sanctimoniously accuse us of being the ones who don't understand democracy and are turning against America. Yeah, the kind that has a K in it. I'll close this evening with an observation that I think really sums up the week, given all that we've been talking about, especially the Biden Fuhrer wanting to turn the IRS into another branch of the Fourth Reich Gestapo, NKVD, GRU, FBI. The founders had a lot to say about a standing army. They called it the bane of liberty. And for example, James Madison, known as the father of the Constitution, said, A government resting on the minority is an aristocracy, not a republic, and could not be safe with a numerical and physical force against it, i.e. an armed populace, not without a standing army, an enslaved press, and a disarmed populace. Which, if you'll step back and take a look at it, really nails the Biden regime's priorities. They're working hard on all of those, and making great progress, too. Don't be caught off guard by the thief in the night.